You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. With the shootings at Virginia Tech still very much in our minds, we want to look in this segment at issues of mental health and gun violence today with a biomedical ethicist who we hope can help us clarify some of our own thinking on these problems. My guest writes a column for MSNBC.com. He serves on a number of impressive national and international committees for the National Cancer Institute, the National Institutes of Health, and many others. Welcome to the Washington Health Report. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn, and our guest is Dr. Arthur Kaplan, Director of the Center for Biomedical Ethics at the University of Pennsylvania. Welcome to the program, Dr. Kaplan. Thanks for having me. So uh, despite the passage of some time, uh, the Virginia Tech incident, um, I think, is still probably on the minds of many of us, and it's hard to know what to think about it. It seemed like uh, many things went wrong. There were so many ways that that it might have been averted. Does it really deserve uh, this kind of attention and thought, or or is it different from school shootings before, or or is this just another in a long line? I don't think it's different. I think we have a little bit of a pattern here. I think we've got some people who are very, very disturbed um, with access to high-powered weaponry, and that is a very lethal combination. People who have real mental illness, being able to easily access guns is what I think is behind this string of shootings, whether it's the Virginia Tech, the uh, Nickel Mine School in the Amish country in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Columbine. I think the pattern of who's involved in these things is pretty clear, and I think there are things that ought to get done about it that aren't. Now, you've taken some time to write an op-ed commentary on on this in the the wake of Virginia Tech. Could you uh, read us a little bit uh, of that commentary? What I wrote was this. I said, look, it's not just guns. Uh, I never thought I would wind up writing those words after a massacre involving a mass murder with a gun. I think our gun laws need to be changed. They're too liberal. But all the coverage of the events at Virginia Tech and the terrible loss of life there keeps focusing on guns. And it's overlooking what a bigger problem that is related, that needs attention. We need to fix a broken, abandoned, and pathetic system of mental health care. Basically, we've got a uh, country that has a mental health care system that is in complete disarray. In the same month that Cho uh, went and killed scores of people at Virginia Tech, Researcher at the University of Washington was shot to death in her office by a former boyfriend. One of her friends said, this guy was a psycho. He was well known from her past. Somebody else was uh, murdered in their home in Queens, New York. The family members had tried to call the police. They tried to get this guy a mental evaluation. He was brought to a hospital. He was out within six hours, came back and shot his mother and two other people in the apartment dead. And he was clearly someone who was mentally ill as well. So the point is that the Virginia Tech murderer was uh, mentally ill, and he fits this dreary profile of all the people involved in Columbine and the Nickel Mine School and other mass murder events. These kind of people were angry outcasts, paranoid, preoccupied with thoughts of violence. The mental health system is letting them down. People are trying to flag them, call attention to them. We frequently have people calling the police, trying to get people admitted. But unfortunately, this hodgepodge of a mental health care system we've got, underfunded, undermanned, is not up to the task. And that has to be fixed. Okay, so that's very persuasive. And I think uh, many would agree 
um, with that view that the mental health care system is in trouble. I, I certainly would uh, in this country. Now, that raises an interesting question, which I think was on a lot of people's minds in the immediate aftermath of the Virginia Tech shooting, which was, why didn't somebody compel Joe to get treatment? I can answer that pretty simply. It's almost impossible to compel somebody in the United States to get treatment unless they are an imminent threat to themselves, that they're going to commit suicide on the spot, or unless you believe that they're about to shoot somebody else. Joe certainly was capable of that, as we sadly know, but at the time people were flagging him, they were saying he's a stalker, he's writing violent stories, He's acting completely withdrawn. He's freaking me out. He's scaring me. That's not going to be enough to get you into the mental health system. It's not going to be enough under current laws to let the mental health system hold you to try and evaluate you. Now, who, who sets that standard? Is it state laws? Is it federal? Where does, that, where does that high standard come from that makes it so difficult to compel treatment? It's a combination of court opinions over the years recognizing the rights of persons with mental illness to not have treatment unless they consent, both drug and conversation, if you will, and state laws that kind of echo and reflect the court opinions. So we've had a long couple of decades of courts weighing in and saying, look, just because you're mentally ill doesn't mean you lose your rights. And I keep looking around saying, put aside the violent criminals, just a lot of the schizophrenics and mentally ill people out on our streets. It's great that they have their rights, but it isn't particularly wonderful, I think, as a public policy to let them rot out there with these rights. Yeah, I think many of us, I think, looking back at this, might conclude that, in fact, he was in imminent danger. It's just that nobody quite knew about it. I don't, I don't know how you, how you play that game back and forth. One professor said, either you get him out of this campus or I'm going to quit. Uh, people were, and a couple of women had complained about him stalking them. People were alert to this guy. It wasn't, uh, I'm not going to say that he leapt off the page and that everybody had his name on their lips around uh, the Virginia Tech campus, but people knew that this was a troubled man. And they, they, it was not just a kind of, gosh, he, he wrote a kind of oddball paper in my class and wasn't that weird. Uh, for those of you who have just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. This is the Washington Health report. We're talking to Dr. Arthur Kaplan, director of the Center for Bioethics at the University of Pennsylvania, about the shooting at Virginia Tech. Now, many of us, I think, have been in a situation where somebody we know might need help. And as we know, in foresight or, or you know, going forward, it's, uh, as was the case with Cho, people, you know, were nervous, uh, uh, you know, and we might know people in our families are our circle of acquaintances or where we're nervous, we're worried either because they frighten us or because we're frightened for them. How do we create a system that will somehow help us, you know, and help the patients themselves discriminate uh, and, and, and figure out who really needs help? Even when you're known to be a threat to yourself or others, in most states, the maximum amount of time you could hold somebody is somewhere between 48 and 72 hours. And I think that should change. If you're worried that someone's going to commit suicide or is a direct threat to somebody else, I think you ought to be able to hold them at least two weeks. So I think we don't have sufficient time in crisis to hold somebody against their will. I guess the other thing I'd like to see change is even when you're not uh, particularly persuasive that you're going to hurt someone or hurt someone else, but people think, gosh, this alcoholism or this anorexia or this depression is just out of control, 
I think we ought to have a system that says you can hold someone and treat them for a uh, fixed period of time, maybe a week. I don't think anybody's going to uh, lose their civil liberties in a fundamental way if mental health can sort of reach in with that kind of authority. So I'm going to say when you're a direct threat, then you got to keep somebody around for a significant period of time to see what's going on. When you're worried that somebody's just in trouble, I think a week isn't too much to give up. And I think, again, leaning over backwards to protect people's rights is not doing them any good. And in the case of some of our uh, more disturbed people, it certainly puts the rest of us at risk. Now, we know any number of stories about court cases and murders and other violent crimes where you know, in, in those that come to trial where psychiatrists argue mightily about uh, whether the person is or is not mentally ill, uh, whether the person was or was not in a state of mind that makes him or her responsible and on and on and on. Is there something missing here in terms of the science of mental health, what we know about these illnesses that, that allows these debates to flourish and makes it so difficult to determine whether somebody does or does not have such a, such a, a florid illness? Well, I think that the courtroom is a bad place to turn to try and understand what psychiatry, psychology, behavioral health, mental health can do. Because there, you're really arguing to achieve justice, and you're trying to get this guy found guilty. They are trying to find people who, in a sense, will protect uh, their client. So that setting is, in fact, frustrating because it looks like, on the one hand, no one's crazy enough ever to be convicted. And on the other end, the prosecutions, uh, the defense team saying everybody's so crazy that no one should ever be convicted. So that's just the nature of an adversarial format. I think psychiatry and mental health can do more than that, can help people more than that. Even showing some interest in doing that would be, I think, of some solace to some of the uh, more lonely and depressed amongst us. So I'm not persuaded that mental health is 100% efficacious. I know that there's a lot of things they don't know what to do. And there's a lot of situations where their treatments aren't very good. But I think they can do more than they're being allowed to do right now. Do you think that means college counselors of the type that might have seen Joe can do that? Or does it have to be, uh, you know, the hotshot psychiatrist from from your place at the University of Pennsylvania? Or uh, how is that knowledge spread around? I think that if you could change the laws, you'd be able to say to somebody like Joe, you know, you're scaring a lot of people on the campus. We want you in here every day for a couple hours to talk to a counselor. There are situations, again, I... I'll just cite uh, one that I'm very familiar with ongoing now. A family has a girl with anorexia. She's killing herself. They can't get anybody to force treatment upon her. And the girl says, no, it's just a lifestyle. We are then stuck as a prisoner of this 17-year-old disease, unable to say, well, couldn't we just send her off for that two-week stay wherever they want to do it and see whether she responds? Because the way it is now, She's in control, and that doesn't seem to me to make any sense when she weighs 70 pounds. If she's 17, wouldn't her parents have the ability to, to compel treatment at that, at that age? She get those 48-hour holds, and if they're not directly going to commit suicide that day, boom, out she goes. So I don't want to slight the civil liberties issue. I mean, I think there was a time when a lot of people with mental illnesses were thrown, away, thrown into a dungeon somewhere, figuratively speaking, and we didn't hear much more about them. In fact, uh, I guess we'd have to say that a lot of mentally ill people are, in fact, given compulsory treatment now by virtue of winding up in the prison system. I mean, it's interesting because guns were also involved, obviously, in, Cho, in Cho's episode, and that's also a, a civil liberties issue of a sort. You know, there is a balancing thing here, isn't there, that has to go on with civil liberties? You do. You do have to have it. My point is, I think, on the mental health end of this, we're too far over on the right side. We're just too far over in terms of threats to others, too far over in trying to protect or help people 
who do have problems themselves. And I keep coming back. What we're talking about here is time periods of a week, two weeks, a month. Nobody ever fundamentally lost their civil liberties by being told they had to uh, spend a month in a psychiatric facility or had to be held two weeks if they tried to commit suicide. So I think we're just too far over on the uh, moral spectrum out of respect for individual rights, individual autonomy. That said, I guess the other reason I'm harping on the mental health end of this is we don't seem to be able to do anything about guns in the United States. And I'm for it. I think that these high-powered weapons and easy access to guns is still not good public policy, but we're not changing it. Massacre after massacre, city shooting after city shooting, we don't change. So maybe we could get some consensus going on the mental health side if we're not going to do anything about the gun side. Well, we're just about out of time. It's a, an issue that it's difficult to, for all of us, I think, to maintain our objectivity. I mean, as a reporter, particularly, it's just such a sad, sad thing. We've been talking to Dr. Arthur Kaplan, director of the Center for Bioethics at the University of Pennsylvania about mental health, problems with the mental health system, and the shooting at Virginia Tech. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. You have been listening to the Washington Health Report on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send us an email at xm at reachmd.com. And thanks for being with us.